NATO is going to win this war, but not in the way you think. Here's why. All right, before you think I am taking sides, I'm not taking sides, okay? I'm not taking sides. I'm going to be as objective as possible. And I do believe that Russia is going to be victorious. But how? How can NATO be victorious and Russia? That's what we're going to talk about. You're watching the dummy's guide to what's going on in Ukraine. This is part five. And we're talking about who is going to win this war. I forgot to record my intro. And it's dark. I'm Kenamo reporting from Washington, D.C. Okay, so before we... Before we talk about that, there was a really interesting clip that I saw this morning. Talking about the stoicism of Ukrainian people, but Ukrainian women and Ukrainian children are in deep fear because of bombs and missiles which are going from the sky. And Ukrainian people are desperately asking for the West to protect our sky. NATO is not willing to defend because NATO is afraid of a World War III, but it is already started. And these are Ukrainian children who are there taking the hit. You're talking about more sanctions, Prime Minister, but Roman Abramovich is not sanctioned. He's in London. His children are not in the bombardments. His children are there in London. Putin's children are in Netherlands, in Germany, in mansions. Where are all these mansions seized? I don't see that. I see that my family members, that my team members are saying that we are crying. We don't know where to run. This is what is happening, I feel her pain. I feel where she's coming from. But you asking NATO to get involved with Russia means that this will certainly turn into nuclear warfare. Кто бы ни пытался помешать нам, а тем более создать угрозы для нашей страны, для нашего народа, должны знать, что ответ России будет незамедлительным и приведет вас к таким последствиям с которыми вы в своей истории еще никогда не сталкивались. Now for me, that's problematic. And I'm so glad that wars are no longer fought based on emotion. Well, I mean, I can't say the same thing for Putin, you know, but looking at the way NATO is approaching this, I don't think it's an emotional thing. I think a lot of people in Europe are really sad to see what's happening to Ukraine, but because of that sadness, the more sad you become about it, the less that you want that to happen to your own city and your own home. So I don't think that Europe wants to participate in this war if it doesn't have to. And Europe, NATO countries, they're not going to. Why would they? It doesn't make sense. But before you completely write me off and say that I am on the side of NATO and I'm biased and all that, even though I am a U.S. citizen and I am in Washington, D.C., I still see things objectively. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll say this time and time again, I don't care who wins. I'm on the side of peace, sustainable peace for the long run. Now, that said, let's talk about Russia. So in the last episode, I kind of broke down kind of Russia's claims to Ukraine. And as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I 
think there is some legitimacy. I think that there is some legitimacy to Russia's claim. You know, when you think about Ukraine, specifically Kyiv, right? Kyiv is the foundation of Russia. That is where Russia began. Rurik's successor, Oleg, captured Kiev, making it the capital of a new state, Kievan Rus. But Alexander Nevsky's son, Daniel, founded the Grand Principality of Moscow, which quickly grew in power. This terrible guy comes into power. His name was literally Ivan the Terrible. And he had some pretty big ambitions for expanding Russia. He's like, dude, we don't need to stop at these mountains. Let's see how far we can push this thing east, way past the mountains. And they just kept moving east till eventually they reached the Pacific Ocean, the edge of the world. <laughs> But they didn't stop there, they just kept going. I mean, listen, this is so far away from the original starting point of Moscow. So you have to understand Putin's ties to Kyiv and Ukraine as a whole is a lot deeper than you would even imagine. In his eyes, the breaking up of the Soviet Union and Ukraine being an independent country, the foundation of Russia being independent is, it's almost like, it's almost, it's so disheartening. I, I can imagine for him, it's probably so disheartening and, and sort of feels as though his culture, his roots are being washed away or have been, have been colonized or taken away from him. Putin declares the collapse of the Soviet Union, quote, the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century. And as for the Russian people, it became a genuine tragedy. Tens of millions of fellow citizens and countrymen found themselves beyond the fringes of Russian territory. And I think that's a lot of Russians that would side with Putin would see it that way. Now, I completely understand you know, you watch previous episodes, I broke down both perspectives. I understand the Ukrainian perspective. I understand those perspectives, but I'm just giving you what Putin might be thinking. This is probably where his mindset is. So you have to understand, right? Right now, Russia has 22 republics. When the Russians would find a tribe or a people or a culture that was very different than theirs because they were so far from home, they first tried to negotiate with them and convince them to join the Russian Empire. If people resisted, it got very predictable imperialism very quickly. But a lot of tribes didn't resist, and they found it beneficial to be a part of this growing empire. So this empire grew without a lot of conflict, and in the process, enveloping a lot of cultures that sort of kept their identity, their language, their culture far, far away from Moscow. Because of this, Russia today is Yes, this huge landmass, but perhaps a better way to look at it is this. Russia today is divided into 85 territories. 22 of these territories are actually called republics. They have their own official language, their own legislature, and basically are totally independent from Russia, except for in international affairs. It's like 22 countries within a country, all with their own unique style. If you think about a place in Russia, say on the complete other side of Russia, say like Amur, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but okay, Amur, right? When you look at the Republic of Amur and you look at Moscow, see how uh, diverse the people are, right? And you look at other republics 
you know, in Russia. Look at how uh, diverse they are in their culture, in their language, in, in even in their ethnicity. There's so many different ethnicities in Russia. So the people in Moscow have so much, have way more similarities in their ethnicity and even in their race than the rest of the rest of Russia. So in their eyes, these are our people, even more so than the people that are all the way on the other side, even though Russia wants to be as big as it is, right? So to, in their eyes, you breaking up with us, even though it happened 30 years ago, you know, Putin was not in power 30 years ago, he's finally in power and this is his ch chance to restore, you know, Russia's rightful place or, or Russia's rightful place of origin back into the fold. That is his mentality. I'm not saying I take the side of his mentality, but I certainly understand where he's coming from. In 1991, we separated into 12 separate parts. It seems to me that our partners were not satisfied with that. They think that Russia is too large. Even the European countries have turned themselves into a union of states. They are quite small states with populations of 60 to 80 million people, but even after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, we only had 146 million people, and that is too much for the West. I think that is the only explanation for their constant pressure against us. And so I think if you want to split up Ukraine from Russia, you could also argue that you should split up the other republics. But if you split up the 22 republics in Russia, that would make 22 more countries on this planet. I don't think anybody, I don't think we need any more countries in this planet. I don't think those republics could stand alone. Sure, Ukraine can stand alone, but I guess Russia's perspective is why should they be independent? And why should they be independent? Because they're closer to the West. And the question is, why is it a priority to bring Western countries, right, West, the Western white side of Russia into the European fold? Why is that the priority? It seems to, as me, to me as though there is like preferential treatment in that regard because they are closer to whiteness, because they're closer to the, you know, Western Europe, even though it is Eastern Europe, but they're white, you know, because of those things, those are the reasons. From that perspective, I can understand why Russia wouldn't want this to be the case. Another reason, and this is probably the main reason that Putin does not want uh, Ukraine to be an, be an independent country, and literally, they, that, it, that was the case, but it was this, this gave him the excuse to invade Ukraine and to put it back into Russia. This is what gave him the excuse. And it was the mere fact that we see all these NATO countries, all these neighboring countries on the border of Russia, all joining NATO, all of them trying to join NATO. Um, and in, in, in Russia's mind, or at least Putin's mind, it's like, is NATO trying to encroach on Ru the Russian border? Because that means that Russia will be surrounded by NATO countries. And that's a military alliance. I've broken this down in a few, you know, a few of these episodes. That's a military alliance on the border of Russia, a military alliance that is built to be against Russia. In his eyes, he sees the West trying to encroach on uh, Russian territory. Because in his eyes, what's next? You guys are gonna come and take over Russia? Is that what you're gonna do next? You guys are gonna invade Russia? I let you on my borders, and you guys are gonna invade Russia? We already have the US 
on one side of Russia, on the other side, then we have all these other countries. Literally, Russia is gonna be surrounded by NATO countries and they just don't want that. So in this way, Putin is acting fast. He's acting before NATO acts. In this sense, we have made it clear that any further NATO movement to the east is unacceptable. There is nothing unclear about this. We are not deploying our missiles over at the borders of the U.S. No. On the other hand, the U.S. is deploying its missiles close to our home, on there on the porch of our house. Did Mexico and the U.S. never have any territorial disputes? What about California? What about Texas? Did you forget about that? How would the Americans react if we placed our missiles on the border between Canada and the United States or on the Mexican border? Not a single inch to the east, they told us in the 90s. And what do you know? They cheated. They just deceived us blatantly. Five ways of NATO expansion. And there you go. Now in Romania and Poland, weapon systems appear. That's what we're talking about. You should finally understand, we're not threatening anyone. We did not come to the US borders or to the UK borders. No. They, they came to our borders and now they're saying that Ukraine will also join NATO and they will deploy their systems there. Or not just NATO, they will simply deploy it on a bilateral basis. They will deploy their military bases and their attack systems. That's what we're talking about. And you keep demanding some guarantees from us. You must give us the guarantees. And I talked about this in another video. It's a little bit of gaslighting from NATO. NATO's acting like, what are you talking about? We're not doing this. What are you talking about? Russian President Vladimir Putin making disturbing comments in public today. He is blaming the Ukrainian government, saying it's the one preparing for war in a military operation, despite the fact that Russia has amassed tens of thousands of troops along the border. He also says it's in the ball is in NATO's court when it comes to de-escalating the situation there. Uh, really, what we heard was him laying the blame for the current tensions around Ukraine squarely at the feet of Kiev, first of all, saying that he had the impression that perhaps some kind of military operation in the east of the country was being planned and linking that to the sanctions that are being threatened by the West. Oh, we demanding something excessive. We're simply asking them not to deploy their attack systems over at our home. What is so unusual or peculiar about that? So in their eyes, it's like, yo, like you guys are trying to take over our territory and you're gaslighting. And so here's the thing, right? Some people will see this and argue, why should we let Russia get away with taking Ukraine? That will tell Russia that it can just go around taking whatever it wants to take. And if you ask me, Honestly, I think the Russians just want to take their, what is theirs, what is theirs historically. In the coming days, Putin will have to take a big call. After Ukraine, what? How many Russian soldiers stay back? How many remain in Belarus? And most importantly, does he push on? That last question is a complicated one. If Vladimir Putin does march forward, what are his options? Let me pull up the map for you. To the east and south, you have five nations, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. The first four are NATO members. If you attack them, you attack NATO. So chances are Putin will not take that risk, or so we hope, which leaves Moldova. Ukraine and Moldova share a long border, around 1,222 kilometers long. If Vladimir Putin wants to, he can train his guns on Moldova. A new week indicates this, a new leak rather, indicates this plan. And guess who leaked it? 
Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, a.k.a. Putin's new best friend. On Tuesday, Lukashenko convened his Security Council, the agenda to discuss Russia's battle plans. Would Putin really attack Moldova? We can think of two reasons why he would. Number one, Moldova was part of the Soviet Union. Until 2009, their government was sympathetic towards Moscow. The current government, not so much. If Putin really wants to revive the Soviet Empire, Moldova may seem attractive. And reason number two, it could be a relatively easy mission. Why do we say that? For starters, Moldova is not part of NATO. So even if Russia attacks, NATO will not respond. Plus, their army is not as big as Ukraine's, just 6,000-odd soldiers. That's it. That's all Moldova has. But what will really excite Putin is this, Transnistria. It is a breakaway region on the Moldova-Ukraine border. Now, globally, it is recognized as part of Moldova, but for all practical purposes, it is independent. Their own government, their own army, their own parliament. Why will this excite Putin? Because this region, Transnistria, is pro-Russian. Russia has 2,000 soldiers stationed here. Add to that 10,000 soldiers loyal to the rebel government. Put together, they can overpower Moldova. But will Putin give that order? A lot depends on how the Ukraine invasion ends. But on the other side, I still don't think that Putin wants to destroy the planet. I think if he can avoid nuclear war, a, a nuclear war, I think that anybody would want to avoid that. So I don't think that Russia's agenda is to colonize the world. Russia's not going to colonize the West. And if it did colonize the West, it would only be post like uh, former Soviet countries. But it wouldn't even do that because those countries are part of NATO. How is Russia going to colonize the world? It does, it's not going to fight China. It needs China. It's not going to fight America. America is a big giant. These are all its neighbors. It's not going to fight them. So thinking about, oh, thinking about it like that, oh, Russia's going to is trying to colonize the world. No, they're not. They just want to protect their borders so they're not invaded by NATO. So saying this is similar to how people will say, oh, women, women, if we give them the same equality and the same power that men have, well, they're just going to do to us what we've done to them. Or people saying, if we give black people the same power, they're just going to do to us what we've done to them. And no, black people and women just want equality. That's all we want, equality. We're not looking to be an aggressor. We're not looking to be an abuser. We're not looking to dominate. You know what I'm saying? So like, from that perspective, that's not what we want. I can't speak for Putin, but I, can, I think the Russian people don't care to colonize the rest of the world. Maybe they want to protect their borders so they're not invaded by NATO. But I don't believe that they want to um, colonize the world. And in addition to that, Ukraine has its own spirit, its own nationalism. And already, if anything, Ukraine serves as a buffer between NATO and Russia. And it makes sense for Putin to keep it that way, to keep Ukraine the way that it's been. Apart from now that they've completely destroyed it. But I imagine he would keep Ukraine exactly as it's been. A middle ground so yes he might make it uh, part of Russia he might do that but it's going to act as a buffer between NATO and Russia and I think that's really just his agenda are we demanding something excessive we're simply asking them not to deploy their attack systems over at our home what is so unusual or peculiar about that let me tell you something NATO already knows this deep down they already know this and what they're trying to do is create this fake stance 
of solidarity to Ukraine because NATO is not going to um, send its military troops to Ukraine to support this war. It's not going to do that. That would mean it would go in direct conflict with Russia, which would mean nuclear warfare. They're not going to do that. Biden has promised that he's not going to do that. They're not going to do that. So right now, all this pride and nationalism that you see on the television, all this Ukraine pride and Ukraine support and nationalism, it's all propaganda. It's all, it's all a scam. They're trying to make the world believe that they stand with Ukraine and they're even doing it more because Ukrainians are white. So they're really showing Ukrainians that look, we stand with you, but they're not gonna fight for you. And that's just the truth. Artists and others around the world are finding ways to show their solidarity with Ukrainians during this time of crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ukrainian Chorus Dumka of New York. Instead of laughter as Saturday Night Live opened, a prayer for Ukraine. And finally tonight here, the show of solidarity for Ukraine here in the U.S. and all over the world. And a powerful moment here in New York City, opening night at the Met Opera, and they chose to begin with the Ukrainian national anthem. All out boycott. FIFA now banning Russia's national and club soccer teams from international competition after teams from Poland, Sweden, and the Czech Republic refused to take the pitch against Russia in the upcoming World Cup playoffs. I mean, it's not fake, it's strategic, and I'm gonna break down why it's strategic, why they need to do this without actually doing anything. NATO's support of Ukraine is only surface level, and it's only on a white kinship basis, right? So when the going gets tough, NATO, the Western countries, European Western countries, they're gonna sacrifice Ukraine. But they are, they are making efforts. They are making efforts to support Ukraine. And to be honest, Ukraine is just an excuse for them to go after Russia. They've literally given the West an excuse to finally force democracy in Russia. And here's how they're going to do this. So first of all, they have employed financial warfare. These sanctions that these European countries have placed on Putin himself, his, his oligarchs that surround him, and Russia as a whole are so severe and they're going to cramp, crank it up even more. Ari, this was a direct and debilitating hit on the Russian economy. We said if Putin escalated his invasion in Ukraine, it would be an un, un, unjustified, unprovoked and premeditated act of aggression and that we would respond with the most severe sanctions ever contemplated. Uh, we said that we would take these actions with unprecedented unity across the world and that we would do it uh, with a speed that could be measured in hours and days, not weeks and months. Sorry, the removal of uh, Russian banks from the SWIFT financial network and the sanctioning of the Russian central bank are unprecedented in their impact, uh, and they're sending Russia back to the 20th century in terms of its financial standing. When you sanction a Russian, when, you, when we sanction the Russian central bank, what we're doing is we're saying there's $630 billion of foreign reserves uh, are no longer so impressive. They can't be used to support the ruble uh, because no U.S., U.K. or European institution is allowed to transact with it. And that's why the ruble went in freefall. As you said, it lost 30 percent of its value today. It's worth less than a penny. That's going to lead to surging inflation in Russia, a reduction in purchasing power and a deep economic recession. It's a raw deal for the Russian people. And we expect it's ultimately going to change its strategic calculus. Right now, what Russia is looking at is double-digit inflation, 15 to 20 percent. Uh, right now, Russia is looking at a very deep recession. 
Russia is looking at a complete isolation uh, from the global economy, from the global financial system, and from global technology. It's looking at a fortification of NATO's eastern flank. It's looking at Europe diversifying away from uh, Russian energy. And it's looking at a West that's more energized and unified and determined than at any point in the post-Cold War era. You know, Ari, these, these sanctions can always be escalated. We're never out of tools in our toolkit. Why is financial warfare important? They're going to push Russia into a deep poverty and it's escalating faster and faster by the day. Every day that this war exists, it's going to cost Putin more. And as they said, they're expediting this. This is not something that's going to take months or years to execute. It's taking days. It's taking hours and days. So they're doing this in escalation, and they're going after all Russian oligarchs. Well, he's, he's banned from traveling uh, for personal reasons. Any of his assets in the Western financial system will be frozen. Uh, and the same goes for, for oligarchs that we're putting on our sanctions list. You know, one of the announcements we, you know, we put out on Saturday, Ari, was that we're going to begin a multilateral process of finding the yachts, the fancy cars, uh, the private jets uh, of all of the oligarchs that have benefited from uh, kleptocracy in Russia. And we're going to begin seizing them. Uh, and we think over time uh, that's going to hit those most close to Putin uh, and perhaps even Putin himself. They're going after all of them. And guess what? Guess what? Rich people hate more than anything in this world. It's being poor. It's suffering. They don't want that or being uncomfortable, right? They're, I don't think that these guys are necessarily going to be poor, but if they own companies, those companies are going to go bankrupt. The, their workers are going to get pissed and there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. You know, in, in, in general, they're going to experience a lot of financial discomfort. I'm not going to call it poverty because it's not going to be. These guys are super rich. But it's going to be financial discomfort to a degree that the U.S., NATO, the European countries are turning the Russian people against Putin. And what happens when a people are against you? Yes, Russia has, uh, Putin has a, a, a great military, a strong military, but you turn the military, you turn uh, them against you, you can make them do an inside job and assassinate him from the inside. And I think that is NATO's secret mission, to sweep in and assassinate him from the inside. And we're going to begin seizing them. Uh, and we think over time uh, that's going to hit those most close to Putin uh, and perhaps even Putin himself. Now, this is I, obviously I'm not an oracle. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. But this is my guess. So why would they even do this in the first place? You have to think about it this way, right? This is the Biden administration, which is the same as the Obama administration. And guess what Obama, Obama's administration did? They're responsible for killing bin Laden. This is all Obama's administration. So they have experience in doing this. They've used these tactics in the past and they've proven that they can get the kingpin before. So they're just coming into this with far more experience. And this move on Putin just gives them what they've been wanting for, well, at least what the U.S. has been wanting for a generation since the Cold War. This is what the U.S. has been wanting. Finally, force democracy in Russia. And Putin has just given them an excuse to take him out directly. The, this, the unfortunate thing about this tactic is that it's going to take time. It might take a year or two. It might take more than that. And that time is time the Ukrainian people cannot afford. 
And unfortunately for the Ukrainian people, they are the sacrifice in this mission. And this is why I say that NATO is going to win in the way, not the way that you expect, because NATO is, is, and I say that NATO is being fake with their intentions because they're making the Ukrainian people believe that they really stand with them. And you can see that in this woman's disappointment when she's, you know, shouting at Boris Johnson. We are talking about the stoicism of Ukrainian people, but Ukrainian women and Ukrainian children are in deep fear because of bombs and missiles which are going from the sky. And Ukrainian people are desperately asking for the West to protect our sky. NATO is not willing to defend because NATO is afraid of a World War III, but it is already starting. And these are Ukrainian children who are there taking the hit. You're talking about more sanctions, Prime Minister, but Roman Abramovich is not sanctioned. He's in London. His children are not in the bombardments. His children are there in London. Putin's children are in Netherlands, in Germany, in mansions. Where are all these mansions seized? I don't see that. I see that my family members, that my team members, are saying that we are crying. We don't know what to run. This is what is happening, Prime Minister. You could see that disappointment in her because you guys are telling us that you stand by us and when we ask you for what we need, you don't give it to us because they're not going to give it to you. All this Ukraine nationalism and propaganda that you're seeing, it's all fake. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a show. It's a show. Why and why? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They're doing this because of China. They're doing this because they want the world to see that we're still going to win this race. <laughs> it's going to look like we're losing on the surface. You know, in storytelling, we have a foreground story and a background story. The foreground story looks like they're losing. But when they take but the background story, when they take Putin out in the background, when they take him out there and they win, and then they'll just appoint their own person to run Russia. Finally, force democracy in Russia. China is going to be like, we're not going to mess with the U.S. In fact, this financial, um, this financial warfare that they're employing right now is already sending a strong message to China. Do not dare. Try. Don't you dare try and do anything with Taiwan. And you know what China's, China's priority is being the richest country in the world. President Xi's mission is to make China as rich as possible. So watching what is happening already, it's already sending a, sent a message to China that we are not, <laughs> we're gonna back off in this Taiwan plan because they've been watching, they've been watching. And I've broken this down in, a, in previous episodes, but Taiwan is very similar to Ukraine in that it, is independent of the Chinese government. But as far as China is concerned, uh, Taiwan is part of China. The position of the Chinese government is that we believe that sanctions are never a fundamental and effective way to solve the problem, and China has always opposed any illegal unilateral sanctions. We hope that the relevant parties can seriously think about it. I think we should try our best to solve the problem through dialogue and consultation. I would also like to point out that the unilateral and illegal sanctions imposed by some countries, such as the United States, have caused serious difficulties to the economy and people's livelihood in the relevant countries. The US must not harm the legitimate rights and interests of China and other parties when dealing with the Ukraine issue and its relations with Russia.
I think it is unwise for the Taiwan authorities and certain people to take advantage of the Ukraine issue as a hot topic. Taiwan is indeed not Ukraine. Taiwan has always been an inseparable part of China's territory. This is an irrefutable historical and legal fact. The One China Principle is a recognised norm in international relations. Peace in the Taiwan region depends on the peaceful development of cross-strait relations, rather than begging for mercy and relying on external forces to sell weapons or provide military support. Taiwan independence will only be a dead end and no one should have any misunderstanding or misjudgment in this regard. But China is still watching what's happening and this, these sanctions, these sanctions are definitely a, a deterring factor to China to back off with Taiwan because um, the US is trying to show the world that we are the dominant military and uh, force in this world. We are the dominant a country in this world, and nobody's going to get away with messing with us. This is a multi-layered war, right? On one front, you see the explosions, you see the bombs, you see everything that's going on in Ukraine. Then you see the false <laughs> propaganda, the false uh, unity that NATO countries are using these tactics that they are employing to support Ukraine, when in fact, in actuality, it's all a sham. They're only going to support from a distance. First of all, NATO is, uh, Ukraine is not a part of NATO, so they have no reason to support Ukraine in this, right? They don't have any reason to do that. But beyond that, what we see here is really just the promotion of white kinship. You know, we see, you know, the way that they cover what's happening in Ukraine is so different from Syria or other non-white countries that are, you know, at war. There's a level of humanity that they show in Ukraine because of the whiteness, because of the white people in the country. And you see all the media reporters saying the exact same thing. The war in Ukraine has exposed the double standards of the West. Here's how. We are all shocked and horrified at the scenes coming out of Ukraine, with an oppressor invading another nation. However, amidst the entire crisis, we can't help but notice an underlying double standard emerging from the way the world is responding. Ukraine isn't the first country to be invaded illegally. In fact, it's not the first country to be invaded by Russia. As we speak, there are Russian jets flying over Syria. Yet we have media commentators consistently highlighting that Ukraine is different and worthy of our sympathy. It's really emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed, children being killed every day with Putin's missiles. Why? Because they are civilized, European, Christian, and have blonde hair and blue eyes? You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European. I have and this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. These are um, Christians, so white. Why do we consistently need to be reminded that these aren't Arabs, Muslims, Afghans or Syrians? Do you need to be a Middle Easterner to be qualified as a refugee? This isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan. And don't get me wrong, of course we care about the Ukrainians, but why do we constantly need to be reminded that these people are different and therefore worthy of our sympathy? You see, when it comes to the case of the Ukrainians, they have the right to bear arms and to fight for their country, and the media celebrates them as defiant heroes. Yet when Arabs or Muslims do the same, they are branded as terrorists. Why is it that the Ukrainian Defense Ministry is allowed to teach people how to make Molotov cocktails in their fight against the oppressor? But Palestinian kids 
from the tender age of 10 are criminalized by the media and imprisoned up to 20 years for throwing rocks at their occupiers. The hypocrisy even extends to the response of global institutions. Russian media and art shows are cancelled, Russian banks are being shut down, and Russian assets are being frozen. Heck, FIFA has also sanctioned all Russian teams from participating while football stadiums are plastering anti-Putin slogans. Why is it okay for football players to speak out against Russia? Yet we saw Mesut Ozil shunned for speaking out in support of the Oigas and Celtic fans fined for waving the Palestinian flag. And when we look at the responses of world leaders, we see the exact same hypocrisy. Biden is somewhat shocked by a foreign country invading another. Who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare new so-called countries on territory that belong to his neighbors. But will never say the same thing about Israel invading Palestine. This idea of white, seeing white people get uh, killed and, and all that stuff, that's not foreign to the previous generation, right? So, but perhaps this generation who never saw that go on, but it's not f a foreign concept. Um, but, so that's an interesting thing anyway. But what's happening in this war is NATO is, is smarter than you think. They're not just fighting this war on the battlefield. Well, they're not. Uh, Ukraine is fighting on the battlefield, battlefield, but they're using other warfare tactics to win this war. You know, we've seen the financial warfare that America and all Western and NATO countries are pretty much using. Most of them are using against Russia. So these European countries, America, they're using these financial warfare tactics. But the invisible tactic that nobody is paying attention to is the media. American media, because American media dominates global media. American culture dominates global media. So when they're using this American propaganda so they can make American pride and American uh, respect circulate through its media around the world, this is how they're, they're targeting you on a psychological level. They're targeting you, you know, through this and how social media is global now. It's more globalized than it's ever been. Information circulates far better than it's ever been. There's never been a war that has been covered the way that this war has been covered. You know, thinking about, when we think about Iraq, we think about Afghanistan. So the Americans are not gonna cover that in the way that they're covering Ukraine. Like we see every explosion, or not every, but we see a lot of explosions. We see what's happening on ground. There are reporters there, they're capturing everything. These are Emmy winning news hours. And ABC, I have to say, ABC has some of the most riveting uh, storytelling when it's about this, when, around this war, it's so riveting. But seeped into all of that, seeped into all of that is the brainwashing, is the propaganda, the, the propaganda that is getting you to believe in America as the winner. Because the way that they're narrating this story, it's manipulative. They're going to tell you that America is winning no matter what. They're going to change the consciousness of the world by telling the world America is winning no matter what. If you go and watch RT, you know, Russian, that's a Russian-owned news network, they have a completely different narrative. Their, their narrative is that Russia is winning. So that's how propaganda works. It's only going to tell you about the victories. It's only going to tell you the story in positioning, positioning themselves as victorious. And so here's where American media wins beyond the news. And American media dominates beyond the news. Hollywood, 
entertainment, social media. The biggest influencers, the biggest celebrities are all American. So even if you turn off American news and you ignore that, you're still going to go on your iPhone and listen to an American musician. You're still going to go to an American musician or American uh, YouTuber's content to watch it. You're still going to be indoctrinated with American culture. You cannot escape it. So no matter what, America's gonna win this war because of these invisible weapons that they're using that you don't even realize that is being used against you. So your psyche, you're gonna be brainwashed to believe that America is, is going to be victorious to the extent that even those in Russia are, against, are gonna be against Putin. Even those in Russia and how? The everyday person is going to be watching American content. Why do you think North Korea has made it illegal to watch American content or to watch foreign content? Because they don't want you seeping into the mindset of its people. Because this is a powerful tool America's using and you don't even realize it. So America's winning this war because they're winning the invisible, they're using invisible tactics, media, right? Then they're using financial warfare, <laughs> which is going to cripple the Russian economy and put, send a lot of people into an excessive poverty, the everyday Russian person, because Russia already has a very skewed distribution of wealth. And then you're going to have only the 1% that are going to enjoy the wealth, but even them, there's going to be pressure on them because they're going to have to... <sighs> They're going to have to fire a lot of their employees. They're not going to be respected on the streets. The streets might get, when people are poor, they get violent. So Russia might not be safe. So Russia might not be safe. So these tactics that America is using is very strategic. But is America going to go on the battlefield and fight for Ukraine? Is, is NATO going to go on the battlefield and fight for Ukraine? Absolutely not. They're not going to do it. So what, what is the scam? What is the scam? It's the propaganda that they're telling the Ukrainian people that we're here in solidarity with you. We're here to support you. Let us know we can help you. You can look at Boris Johnson's face like, I feel your pain. He might feel your pain. I think we all feel your pain, but nobody's gonna sacrifice their life. No one's gonna sacrifice their country, their economy, especially not after COVID, for Ukraine. They're not gonna do it. But why are they making all this noise? Because they want to send a message to the world. They want to send a message to China. They want to send a message to everyone. Don't mess with NATO, any NATO country, and especially don't mess with America because we will come for you. And we will destroy you on multi-levels, multi-layers, right? It's not just going to be a war. It's not just going to be bombs exploding. No, no, no. It's going to be, we're going to, we're going to brainwash your people. NATO is going to win this war, but not in the way that you think they're going to win this war, right? I talked about Putin and how, you know, Russia potentially deserves Ukraine, right? Potentially. It's arguable. I've also talked about NATO fighting this uh, war through financial warfare, you know, and very good tactic, right, to distract you. Then I've talked about how NATO is actually betraying or it's not betrayal, but European countries that are, the betrayal is the fact that they're giving them the, a false sense of hope where they're not going to be there for them, right? With all this propaganda, it's a false sense of hope. So that's the betrayal. It's not that they deserve, they have to save them or they have to support them. It's the fact that they're giving them a false sense of hope because of white kinship, 
you know, because of white kinship, because they want to, you know, make white people believe that we are here for all of you, right? So that's why, that's that situation. But when it comes to it, when it comes to Putin, he's been very clear. If anybody intervenes, there will be consequences. He was very clear. Кто бы ни пытался помешать нам, а тем более создать угрозы для нашей страны, для нашего народа, должны знать, что ответ России будет незамедлительным и приведет вас к таким последствиям, с которыми вы в своей истории еще никогда не сталкивались. What does that really mean, right? On one front, it could mean if you intervene and you fight in this war, we are going to start a, a World War III and we're all going to fight each other, right? even though I don't like the term World War III because that's very Eurocentric, but we'll start a new war and, we're, you know, and this is gonna happen, right? That's one side. But really and truly, if, the, if NATO is using financial warfare you know, tactics to uh, throw Russia's economy into a deep recession, that's gonna put a lot of pressure on Putin. You know, create a lot of instability in his country, probably insecurity in his country. And to him, he might actually see that as a tactic of war. And, and as a result, might to decide to escalate. That he could get pissed enough that he's gonna say, okay, well, you guys have declared war on Russia because I can see all my people suffering because of you. So now you've crippled my economy. Now I'm going to start throwing bombs and potentially nuclear bombs. But I just would hope that he wouldn't be that reckless. But at the same time, we're dealing with people that are older, right? What do they care if the world ends in the next 50 years? <laughs> what do they care if they wipe out humanity in the next 50 years? They're not gonna be alive then, right? I would hope that Putin has young, he has children, so does Biden, they have children, Biden has grandchildren. I don't know if Putin has grandchildren, he probably does. I would hope that he would want a better world for his family and not just <laughs> go into you know, a, a nuclear warfare but who knows, you know? So that's the dangerous part. It could all backfire and they could just decide like they're going head to head, NATO and Russia, but we really don't want that to happen. So to conclude, I truly believe that NATO is gonna win this war. They're already winning this war, but it's not directly, it's indirectly. It's not the way that you anticipate. It's not the way that you think it's gonna happen. And they're gonna do this by Number one, letting, sacrificing Ukraine, unfortunately. Number two, they will have an excuse to go after Putin and take him out the same way they took out bin Laden. And then they'll just appoint their own person to run Russia and they'll get everything that they wanted to get. Now this is, I, obviously I'm not an oracle. <laughs> I have no idea what's gonna happen, but this is my guess based on the optics that we're seeing today, based on what I'm seeing today, this is my guess. Let me know your thoughts, leave a comment down below. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all the above. My name is Kenem and see you next time.